from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. The Koala Moon podcast has revolutionized over 20 million bedtimes with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine. With original kids' bedtime stories and cozy sleep meditations, every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Hi, I'm Ethan Adelman, and this is Psychoactive, a production of iHeartRadio and Protozoa Pictures. Psychoactive is the show where we talk about all things drugs. But any views expressed here do not represent those of iHeartMedia, Protozoa Pictures, or their executives and employees. Indeed, as an inveterate contrarian, I can tell you they may not even represent my own. And nothing contained in this show should be used as medical advice or encouragement to use any type of drug. Hello, psychoactive listeners. You know, I know a lot of times I introduce an episode by saying we have a special treat or this is going to be really different, but this one really is going to be different because my guest today is a Chef Nikki Stewart. She's just one of the real stars of the cannabis culinary world. And her niche has been, you know, basically organizing these dinners, sometimes dinners for hundreds of people, oftentimes for famous people, and becoming a really, uh, you know, an important voice in the whole cannabis culinary world. I mean, she's she's done stuff for Dave Chappelle, the comedians, his summer camp. She's done stuff for Snoop Dogg, for the record uh, producer and executive DJ Holly. She's teamed up with uh, the fashion line Saint Laurent and the cognac brand Martel. Her brand's called the High End Affair, uh, which is a traveling infused culinary experience. So, Chef Nikki, thanks so much for joining me on Psychoactive. Yes, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me, Ethan. 
I'm excited to be here. One of my great regrets is I've yet to, I've been to a few cannabis-infused dinners in my life, but I haven't done one of yours yet. So I, I feel a little like, uh, you know, not having benefited from the actual experiential experience of having done this. But just tell me your philosophy, the way you think about cannabis and its relationship to food. Yeah, well, I love to start with that question because I have to oftentimes remind myself why I'm here. And the relationship with cannabis and food and what I feel like it should be with everyone um, at some point, even if you're just a novice, is to be able to have cannabis as an ingredient in your pantry, in your home, and not be afraid of adding it to food or any sort of wellness regimen in regards to just being a complete whole, <laughs> holistic like person and, and keeping that in the vibe. You know, like in restaurants, as a chef, we use wine, we use alcohol, we use a lot of those things in food, right? So if you're using a bourbon and something, the actual APV dissipates. But cannabis is different because as soon as you activate it with heat, and as soon as you activate it inside your body, in your bloodstream, it begins a different type of elevation. And so understanding what your body feels like when it goes through that process is really important for me to always explain. So I've always wanted to be able to normalize cannabis. I am a mother, you know, a working mother. And so I always remember how I started, you know, kind of using cannabis in my regular daily regime and started cooking with it for my own benefits. So yeah, that's pretty much how I feel about it. Well, let me ask you, I mean, you know, we're going to be talking obviously about cannabis and, you know, the how it integrates with people getting high as they're eating, how it elevates their sense of taste, the pleasure element of mm. it, um, and the t taste element of it. But let's start off with the medicinal side. And I was wondering, have you, you know, cooked or been cooking specifically ever in your past for people who are sick dealing with medical conditions and had to try to figure out what sorts of combination of different strains or types of cannabis and food would be most helpful for the people you were trying to help? Yeah. I mean, in the, some of my earlier days when cooking with cannabis and really, you know, working with people to get them to understand what their actual needs were, I had a lot of patients and um, a lot of patients who had medical cards and some who didn't. In those circumstances, they're typically very high dose levels of cannabis to the point where the average person could not normally consume consume them at that rate. Uh, so we're talking about things like RSO, which is Rick Simpson oil, which is a very heavy concentrate that a lot of people use to treat cancer and different ailments that are either requ like requiring them to have pain medicine or requiring them to stimulate appetite. And so a lot of those things are used. So I would usually also often focus on what type of level of concentrate and the THC levels that were presented in those in order to figure out what type of like food item to put it into where it's balanced and still pleasurable, not overly terpy. But sometimes the higher you get in uh, percentage levels, uh, you know, it's a little bit stronger on the taste. As far mm -hmm. as terpenes are concerned, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious especially about the evolution 
in cooking with cannabis? Because I think, you know, when I was growing up and there were, you know, marijuana brownies and things like that, and even when you were growing mm. up, right? I mean, and my oh, understanding sure. is a lot of that were like mostly about like butter and coconut oil extractions. And I talk, I don't know this, but some, a chef I was talking to said, you know, the butter oil was cooked low and slow for a long period of time with the cannabis flowers strained and baked. And has things changed dramatically since then? I mean, are the old techniques even still used? Have they been displaced with all the new concentrates and all this sort of stuff? Or is it a combination of the old and the new still? I think it's a combination of the old and the new still. I mean, at home, consumers who want to make their own tinctures and like carrier oils, meaning like coconut, olive oil, avocado oil, uh, different things like that, and butter, they still make them at home. There's a lot of like cool devices that you can buy. Uh, One of them that I like is called Ardent. It's very measured out. So it's nice because you can do these things at home and be a little bit more exact than back in the days when we all first started doing them in crock pots and like Mm -hmm. straining them in cheesecloth and like going through this low decarboxylation of the cannabis and then moving it into a carrier oil. So those machines are great. They do them for you. Now, for me and my own preference as being in a professional field, and having to have an expertise in dosing, it won't work for me because I'm doing volume. And so my numbers have to be a little bit more finite. So I prefer to use products like a nanotech bioavailability products, which is completely different. And then that's where I'm at now. But before I went from, you know, carrier oils and I went to distillates and then I went to concentrates and isolates and things like that. And now I'm doing working with a product that the onset, when it goes through your body, it completely bypasses your liver and goes straight to your bloodstream, which means that it takes less time, which means Mm -hmm. that instead of this being like, you know, I'm waiting for this brownie to kick in or waiting for these edibles to kick in, it's been about an hour, so let me eat another one. (laughs) Instead of that, it's Mm -hmm. like you're feeling this within 15 minutes. You know, I have to say on the on the dosing thing, I mean, I've only been to a few cannabis-infused dinners. And I remember one, you know, each dish they said this is going to be, you know, 10 milligrams THC and so-and-so milligrams of CBD, or maybe there was, I don't know, some CBNs or something like that in it. And, and I remember being struck that the whole dinner called for more or less 70 milligrams. And I'm thinking, like, when I take like my edible and want to get pretty high, go for massage, 10 milligrams is is a solid dose for me. Mm-hmm. And there have been times when I've taken 20 milligrams and gotten, you know, too high. And mm-hmm. yet what I noticed with that dinner was that I took 50, 60, 70 milligrams over the course of some hours, no alcohol. And this was downtown in, in Manhattan. And then I was still able to get on the subway, go back home and just lie on my couch and have a very wonderful chill high. And I'm curious, like, what is it about the fact that when you're combining with food that somehow the amount you can consume, that one can consume of the THC is so much higher than when I'm just doing a simple edible like a chocolate or or a a candy or something like that? I'll tell you why. (laughs) So most chefs, we do a a very interesting balancing act. And I do it at a very uh, high rate, meaning that when you're getting THC in certain courses of the food, I'm always balancing you with high doses of CBD in other ways that you may not Mm -hmm. realize. 
like my entire bar, like all of the tinctures, all of the syrups, all of the bitters, they have CBD in them. And so when you're having a cocktail, even if we have a low, sometimes we do a very low amount of alcohol, just like less than an ounce, less than a half ounce, sometimes just to get the flavor, the CBD on top of that is completely balancing you and knocking you back down. So same thing when I also do certain courses, I'll do different ratios of three to one, one to one, two to ones. I'm literally just balancing you with, you know, a certain portion of CBD to your THC. So you can consume higher amounts. Like some guests are what we call lightweights, meaning that you may not get over 20 to 25 milligrams the entire dinner. And then some are mid-level, which are 45 to 50. And then we have, you know, like our 75 to 100. So we have some of our VIP guests. They're just like, lay it on me. <laughs> so <laughs> uh-huh. we, we, we lay it on them. And then they also get to take home food. That's part of you being a VIP. You get to go food. <laughs> so, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so that's a cool thing. So you can go and get high at home or you can put it in the freezer and heat it up when you're ready. Um, but yeah, so that's a, it's just a balancing act. And the CBD is is crucial to this. You're saying that that helps take. There's if it, if there was no CBD involved, people would be getting much higher, maybe too high, too fast without that. Yeah, I mean it's it, that is definitely so. Um, so you would like I'm timing every course at you know like 25 to 30 minutes because I'm allowing enough time in between each course to allow your elevation to occur and for you to try to settle into that. And so Mm -hmm. depending on where I'm at, as far as how I start off low and slow with the courses, I literally come out and visit every single table and have a conversation with every person just so I can make sure that they're elevating safely and comfortably. And so it's, like I Mm -hmm. said, it's, it's a combination of being like, a caregiver <laughs> and a chef right. and, yeah. you know, um, also a scientist. And I studied pharmacy in college. So that's also a part of that bedside manner that I have as far as making sure that quote unquote, your patient is okay <laughs> and mm-hmm. not having any issues with their medication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so Nikki, I mean, you got this degree um, in pharmacology. How did that really impact uh, your evolution as a chef and a cannabis chef? In studying pharmaceutical sciences, you you definitely have to go over what it means to like properly dose someone. I did a lot of a lot of my studies in compounding pharmacy, which is the creation of drugs, and then also moving into retail pharmacy, which is the dispensing of drugs. And so always understanding what interacts with the body and understanding what contraindicates a like a medicine with something else. You know, like if you'll get a prescription and be like, hey, if you're taking a lot of grapefruit in, maybe you shouldn't take this medicine or if you like all these things. So I'm always very mindful you know, like if there is a, a guest that is on other medication, I'm always, you know, taking that into consideration and that experience. But I'm also taking into consideration what a healthy dose of cannabis is and how it can like sit in your bloodstream, you know, and making sure like any other medications that you're taking, it doesn't interfere with that. So, I mean, there are times or any, especially even getting into like, 
mushroom journeys or any other type of uh, psychoactive, you do have to take in consideration if people are on SSRIs or they're on like heavy narcotics and other things, just so I'm mindful. And there are times that sometimes we have to like safely and or regretfully decline um, sometimes experiences for people based upon if they're already on a lot of medications, which means that we just ask them to readjust certain things before they come to dinner or enter into an experience with us. Right, right, right. Now tell me, in terms of the other degree, I mean, are, are, do I assume that these dinners are either no alcohol or very low alcohol? Very low, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because those things would not necessarily, I mean, people would just get too high. Yeah, people would get way too high. Everyone, not everyone loves a crossfade, but, you know, people, some people enjoy being crossfade and some people it could take a, you know, very not good turn because when you're crossfading too much with alcohol and cannabis, you can get dizzy, you can pass out, you know, like all those things. So during that course of time that I'm with you for the dinner, you're not consuming alcohol at very high rates. Most of our cocktails are mocktails. And then the ones that do have alcohol, like I said, they're less than like a half ounce, just so you can get the effect. (laughs) We actually have started brewing different types of teas to mimic, you know, certain types of, you know, like alcohol influence, but it's actually tea. Mm-hmm. So sticking mm-hmm. on this issue of dosing, so um, you know, I, I I heard that you just recently um did a dinner at South by Southwest. I and did. And I reached yes. out to a bunch of friends who were there, and one of them, Steve D'Angelo, who's the uh, you know, the marijuana you know <laughs> entrepreneur and activist. And I said, so what'd you think? And he wrote back to me yesterday. He goes, Nikki gave the best pre-dinner preparation speech I've ever heard. And then <laughs> they had come down packages for overdosers. And then he I said did. the food was mostly Asian fusion-ish, multi-layer flares and textures. But tell me, like, what was that pre-dinner prep speech that you gave to your uh, your dinner crowd? Tell me more about your dinner at South by Southwest. Of course. First of all, I love Steve and Last Prisoner's Project, so shout out to him. So the prep speech before the first course is served is really kind of like an adult conversation, but it feels one-on-one to every individual. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, I know we're all adults, and I know sometimes we overconsume, or maybe we have the thoughts of overconsuming. But I've measured each one of these courses out very meticulously, and so I want to make sure that you are consuming them properly. And then I also have a conversation with them as if they feel themselves getting too high too fast, you know, like if the tips of your ears get warm, that's usually a little indication like, whoa, something's (laughs) happening here. (laughs) And so I ask them to, you know, like raise their hand and try to be responsible for themselves as best as they can or the person next to them tell them that, hey, I I may need a hand. And a server or anyone that is working the event on my staff will come to you and will get you, um, we call an undo. And Undo is a product that I use to bring your high down in about 30 minutes. And so, and it's a really dope (laughs) product and that I've been using for the last few years at my events and it works really well. So sometimes midway during the dinner, (laughs) we had people even on Monday that were like, hey, uh, yeah, I need to undo. They take it and I still see them sitting there an hour later, still consuming. I'm like, hey, are you good? I'm like, of course, like I'm back. Like I need another (laughs) 
I'm ready for uh-huh. cor- course five. And so, yeah, so part of that is that conversation. But I also want people to enjoy the experience and enjoy each other and network and move around and talk to the people at your table. And so I asked them to put their phones away. So I do have a no phone policy and it's just for you to be in that moment in that space. And and I don't mind if you take pictures of the menu or the plate, but, you know, not of each other unless it's your specific group. You know what I mean? So that's mm-hmm. part of like that policy. Typically in other markets, we have great things like Lyft that will sponsor us to make sure everyone gets a ride home at a discounted rate. So we have a lot of little like fail safes to make sure that you are good. <laughs> and I don't care if you need to sit for, you know, an extra hour while we're cleaning up and breaking down. That's fine. We'll take care of you, mm-hmm. but we want to make sure you are A-OK to get home. We'll be talking more after we hear this ad. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When your child fights sleep, it can feel like a battle you'll never win. Imagine a bedtime routine you all look forward to, where you cuddle in and let the stress of the day melt away. Welcome to Sleep Tight Stories, a calming weekly podcast that brings bedtime stories, cuddles, and comfort to families worldwide. The stories are quirky, relatable, and spark wonder without overstimulation so listeners can fall asleep and stay asleep. Each episode is narrated by me, Cheryl McLeod, a second-grade teacher, and written by my husband, Clark, an eternal second-grader at heart. Tune in tonight and bond over a story before drifting off to sleep. Make bedtime the sweetest part of your day. Sleep Tight Stories. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I'm Abby, a mother of two, and I had these battles myself. Endless excuses, delay tactics, and many tears and tantrums. But I've created a solution. The perfect kids podcast that makes bedtime a dream. It's called Koala Moon, and it's hosted by me, Abby. With over 300 episodes, packed with original stories and sleep meditations, Koala Moon makes bedtimes easy and enjoyable. Episodes start out engaging and really rather magical, but as they progress, they gently slow to a calm and relaxing pace to have your little ones out like a light. Since launching in 2022, Koala Moon has helped with over 20 million nights sleep and received over 6,000 five-star reviews. Win back your evenings. Listen to Koala Moon now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. 
Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Can you say what are some of the ingredients in that undo that help people come down from a too high a high? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> One of the, um, and I'll tell you, it's a, it's a product you can readily find online. One of the ingredients is like cold-pressed olive oil. And so what that does, if, if you're realizing that like part of the reason you're too high is because you know, you've got all your endocannabinoid system is just like going crazy <laughs> right now. So what this does is it goes and it kind of sucks all of that down. And so mm-hmm. there's vitamin E in there and there's also olive oil. And it's just three ingredients and the just glycerin, purified water, and it's just lipids. And it's stripping your system. It's going through your bloodstream and just pulling everything down. And when it comes to the dosing, I mean, how do you, I mean, obviously there's some room for error on, in terms of, you know, whether it lands up being four milligrams or six in a dish or whatever, but how, I mean, when you're cooking for dozens, if not hundreds, how do you standardize it if you're doing stuff in a blender? I mean, how do you make sure that each piece of pie or each entree has got roughly the same dose in it? And are you actually testing any of these things periodically to, to mm-hmm. see what the, what, what the dosage level is? Yeah, this is just, this is math and science really right here. I mean, of course, we'll have to just take, you know, how many people times how many ounces each portion is times, I mean, like, like, and then divide that by how many milligrams you want it to be. And then, Mm -hmm. I mean, like literally just kind of going through this math. And so typically if I have, you know, 100 guests, 200 guests, 300 guests, breaking that down as far as in the bulk amounts to, and then we have to make sure the portions are correct upon serving, right? And then there's Mm -hmm. other times where I have to individually dose depending on the type of product that I'm using. And so, and individually dosing is exactly what it is, meaning that I have to go over each portion times, you know, 100, 200, 300, which is, you know, a little bit more tedious, but it is a very exact. And those are usually the two ways. It's just a lot of math. And I thank God that like, I'm, you know, I was in a lot of science classes in school Mm -hmm. that I can, you know, A plus B equals C, (laughs) then Mm -hmm. then divide it by this and then, you know, go through that process. And, And when you're doing your cooking, I mean, look, most chefs, you're constantly tasting to make sure you're getting it right. I mean, do you land up getting high as you're cooking and tasting or have you developed a sufficiently high enough tolerance that it's not really hitting you that way? Both. Honestly, Uh, both. uh (laughs) There are times where like, yes, I have totally fucked myself up for sure. But then there are times where my tolerance is so high that most people would just be rocked. And I'm usually like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Let's breathe, let's breathe through it and finish this out. So yeah, I mean, I've I've definitely done it. I don't think that any person that makes edibles or infuses things hasn't. But what I do do, I will tell you this, I, because I'm really like very specific and very like intentional about flavors. Mm-hmm. 
I do mm-hmm. wait until the very last possible moment to infuse it just because I want to make sure the flavors are correct. And so before like I put anything, any cannabis product in there, I'm getting it to a point where I'm like, okay, this is exactly how it's going to taste. This mm-hmm. is the product that I was looking for. This is the end result. And then I add the cannabis product to that. I see. But but the cannabis product, right? I mean, there is an element in which it's also part of the taste, right? I mean, maybe are terpenes the key element? And if so, can you explain to the audience what terpenes are? And when you say you want to get the taste just right before you add the cannabis element, but cannabis is going to affect the taste, how does all that play out together? Yeah, so terpenes do play um, a role in it, but I'm also a person that I'm split on the execution of cannabis dishes with high terp profiles. And terp profiles, I mean, that's the flavors, it's the essential oil of the plant. So that's a terpene. Terpene that's is what a essential terpene oil. Is. Plant. Right. Yes, and not just cannabis, but even things like teas and herbs and things like exactly, that. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. 100%. And so a lot of times the terpene flavors just vary. And so if you have like a limonene, more like profile or a linenol profile, like you may have some notes that are a little bit more like dank and a little bit dirty. And I mean that in a nice way. I don't mean like dirty, like Mm -hmm. gross, but I just mean it has a little bit more of a rustic smell to it. Um, But all of those will change the way the food tastes, the food with the way it tastes on your palate. So what I do is I separate the terpenes from the actual product that I like to. So I like to ice, I like have products that isolate it out. So meaning there's more of a muted, like neutral taste. And then what we do is we take terpene concentrates and we add it at the end. So you get it on the nose, but you don't get it so much on the tongue and the taste when you're consuming it. Are there particular terpenes that you most love to cook with? And are the terpenes that people like in food oftentimes the same ones that they like when they're consuming or smoking, for example? Yeah. I mean, when you're smoking a lot, oftentimes like that very fragrant, fresh, citrusy, you know, going through your nose or like I said, the piney taste going through your nose. So people enjoy tasting their weed. That is for mm-hmm. sure. Like there, there's a whole marketing campaign <laughs> around flavors, right? Of of mm-hmm. cannabis. And cannabis often takes on names that are like sweet and fun, like gelatos and sherbets and you know, like these things like that. And so a lot of times I do prefer you know, things that I can mesh well with actual like lemongrass. Like what could I pair with a lemongrass? Like maybe Durban poison. That's something that's a little bit more fresh and lemony and citrusy. So I can pair, Mm -hmm. can compare that with, you know, something in a dish. So I'm very selective when it comes to that. And um, I only use terpene like isolation on things that I think that makes sense. There are often times where some things just don't make sense and it will just ruin the flavor. Things that are light and soft and fluffy, certain profiles of certain terpenes will just overpower it and you won't even get what I'm trying to give you, you know? So mm-hmm. um, 
yeah, I am a, a person that likes to play around with that. Like I said, it makes sense when you're doing it at home. It it's very hard to isolate that. So when you do things at home and you're making things from just flour, you're going to get all of the terps that are in that flour. And by the way, you should just say for the audience, because here we're dealing with a, a hominin uh, that enters into this discussion. There's flour and there's flour. There's flour, F-L-O-U-R, <laughs> right? Uh, and there is cannabis flour, F-L-O-U-R. And then there's the flour, the part of the plant, which is the one that, you know, basically people like to smoke or vape or even use for food. And so when you're talking about flour, you're talking about the F-L-O-W-E-R, right? Yes, Elvis. I am. Right. But are you ever yeah. using a cannabis flour, F-L-O-U-R? You know what? That's something that's really kind of a little tough thing to do, um, but mm-hmm. not ex- not completely. If you because cannabis has such a oily residue, and so when you're trying to make something as fine as flour, you have to use you know something maybe like an isolate or things like that, something that's water soluble. So it hasn't been done really well, but I foresee it. <laughs> I foresee uh-huh. it. You know, that is my end game of being here, meaning that like you should be able to have this these types of products in your pantry uh, and like a diversity of them. And so it shouldn't just stop at, you know, like oils and butters. It should be able to be in things that are much softer, like flour or sugar or even baking soda and like things like that. There's a lot of different things that we use every day in the kitchen that if I'm able to slide cannabis in there somewhere, I think we'll all be happy campers. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm going to have a like a Trader Joe's <laughs> with cannabis products. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like quite an ambition. So, so Nikki, I mean, just if you think back on all, all, the, all the meals you put together, what's the one that just stands out in your memory? If Man, there is I, one. I, I kind of have two, and I'll do it really quick. So my very first dinner... That was an infused dinner was for Snoop. And it was the launch of his media company called Mary Jane. It was a campaign they were doing. And that was my first challenge when it was, you have to pull out this pharmaceutical sciences bag and remember like all of your old stuff. Because I was, there was like 250 people. I had a cannabis company drop me off like four and a half pounds of just flour and they were like just go to work and I was like shit well I've got to break all of this down into (laughs) like different methods that I can use to infuse food and it was so many celebrities there and I was just like I really hope I get this right (laughs) I mean because it was really my first time doing 250 people and a large setting and six to seven courses in Hollywood and so like, you know, you have in the back of your mind, don't fuck this up. And so I did a pretty good job. <laughs> and then consequently, years later, I'm having a party in Oakland and in walks Mike Dirt from Green Day. And I was like, oh, hey. <laughs> and then in walks E-40 and then all these other like Gary Payton, like all of these other. Th- and that was a moment that I was like, huh, because all of them said, I've been waiting to meet you. And I was like, you have? <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you're having like the your 90s childhood, like Green Day, and then you're having hip hop icons and then basketball legends and like all of these folks there communing and having a great time with, you know, 
regular folks as well and influencers. And those are also just two very moments where I was just like, I think I'm probably doing something right. And the food, it's always going to be great. So I'm not worried about the food necessarily. I know my food translates. I'm also just worried about <laughs> making sure everyone's having a good time. And cannabis brings everyone around the pot. So here's a double entendre for you around the pot and around the pot. So it's a food <laughs> and weed. And so I'm pretty good at bringing people around the pot. You ever have any say over the music that's in the background? Yes, I'm I'm a vibes person. So the, I select all the DJs and the bands personally. Mm -hmm. And I also get them to understand where the influence is with the music. I have a, li a curated list that people share called Vibes Curated by Chef Nikki. And they're really just kind of like more up-tempo. Like when you're consuming, I can't play slow music because everyone is going to be like, in this soft space and wanting to sit down. Mm -hmm. So I have to have a music that keeps a certain tempo that'll keep people mingling and keep people upbeat and singing along and saying hi to their friends. So yeah, I have yeah. a lot of infused, a lot of influence over the music. That is like really important to me. Now I was at one other dinner where, where uh, the chef started saying that they wanted to use not just, you know, the, the THC aspects of the cannabis plant or the CBD or CBNs, but they also wanted to be using other parts of the cannabis plant, the seeds, mm -hmm. the stalks, the roots and the leaves in part because of the health benefits in those. I don't know if there was a flavor element to it, but what about you? Are you using those other elements of the, of the cannabis plant? And if so, is it about health or flavor or what? You know, I think it's about a, a lot of things. I mean, as chefs, we use things for garnish a lot. So oftentimes you'll see the actual leaf used as a garnish or um, some sort of like preparation on plating. And then often you may see like different parts, maybe like cut up as part of an herb, like that is like a finishing herb. So I think that is important for sure. I have a very soft intro with most people because most people are not just going to chew the actual plant. I mean, I, I would because, but I'm weird like that. Mm -hmm. And so, but actually getting someone to like nibble on the stem or the stalk or like seeds is, you know, like it, that's a very like direct <laughs> angle. <laughs> So I am trying to like get people to normalize this consumption of cannabis in general and then working them in with other types of like step ups, which I believe is where we're at, you know, having other health benefits. But I think we're mm -hmm. first getting people to realize like there's so many benefits of cannabis like undiscovered and the ones we have are so immense and they're happening all the time. And then you're having all these other things, you know, like people are starting to learn out, learn about THCA, THCV, and then people are learning about all these other CBN, CBGs, and then they're learning about Delta 8, Delta 9, <laughs> you know, it's like there's like a lot of options. And so when there's so many options, like the average person is just like, I want to get high. And I'm like, all right, cool. I got you there. So let's also talk about what else you can get out of being high. And then giving them that soft intro into understanding this whole new world of cannabis. It's, yeah. it's, pr it's pretty huge. You know, I tell people the yeah. same thing about mushrooms. It's a whole world. It's huge. Mm -hmm. It's undiscovered. Like all these different strains. We're still, we're at the tip of this. 
Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm curious because ever since I started, you know, smoking weed when I was about 18, you know, I used to love get, just getting high before going out to a restaurant. And sometimes mm-hmm. it had the advantage of making food that wasn't very good, oftentimes tastes really good, and making food that was already very good tastes fantastic. And in fact, now as I've gotten older, I actually make an effort not to consume cannabis before I eat because then I'll eat too much. Like I just can't. I have friends like that. They just can't do cannabis anymore because the munchies are, you know, so much that they just overeat and it's, you know, they need to keep their weight down and all this sort of stuff. But what I'm wondering about is, is there something distinctive about cooking for people who are high, like the way in which cannabis elevates our senses, including our olfactory senses, our taste buds? Is there mm-hmm. something about cooking it that, that actually you shift what you're doing and the way you're thinking about the dish because you know your consumer is going to be high at that (laughs) time and therefore tasting the dish differently than they would if they were not high? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's funny. (laughs) I, uh, because I think about that when I'm high, you know, and I'm like, Uh ooh, you know what would taste really good? You know, I go through that myself. (laughs) And so a lot of times when I'm doing menus, I'm kind of in the middle of that. So i kind of transport myself into the the guest, the diner's like psyche. And so, you know, the things that taste really good when you're high are things that are fatty or sugary, you know, like the spices on there make a difference. Things that are spicy or like warm spices really hit hard. So how can I figure this out and get you a really good experience where it's not Like I'm not driving up your cholesterol. I'm not giving you a bunch of like artificial flavors Mm -hmm. and sugars. And so knowing that you'll be high, (laughs) what I do is in between there, I give you food that is uninfused intentionally, meaning that I have number one dishes that come out in between the courses that are like filler foods that you're like, oh my God, is that 24 karat gold mac and cheese? What the fuck? I want it. So you get it, (laughs) you know, like, so I have these moments where people are like, I didn't know that I wanted that until you sat it out, but it's such a great idea. (laughs) And and so I have, I like to have fun. I like, I do very refined dishes, but in between there, I offer very like playful things and things that are very relatable and very fun because, you know, like who doesn't like cheese when they're high sometimes, unless you're lactose. So we'll give you another option, you know? (laughs) So, Yeah. (laughs) Nick, I, I got to tell you something. I, I say I, this, the single most spectacular culinary experience of my life, and, and <laughs> I need to tell you about it because then it will lead into a set of other questions here. But there, there used to be a restaurant on the Upper West Side of New York. It was like the one really high-end restaurant on the Upper West Side, which is generally not known um, for its you know, restaurant uh, you know, life. And it was called Pichelin. And mm-hmm. Pichelin had the one outstanding cheese expert in New York at that time, who I think mm-hmm. became the dean and mentor as other restaurants began to develop. And they would have like 50 or 100 different types of cheeses. He would come over. He had a story for everyone. And I went there for, um, I don't know, it was my daughter's or friend's birthday dinner or something like that. And, and, and we ordered the big cheese sampling at the end, but we were so full that we just, we couldn't eat it. So I took the, I took the whole cheese selection home, you know, like in a, in a takeaway bag and put it in the fridge for a couple of days. And then on that Saturday, a couple of days later, uh, my partner was with me and she and I, we decided we were going to do mushrooms together. 
Mm -hmm. right? Psychedelic mushrooms, right? And so I took the cheese out of the fridge, you know, just thinking we might want it in the evening. We wanted to warm up. And so we had a wonderful mushroom trip that day, that afternoon. And as we're coming down and as this appetite slowly starts to develop and, you know, because it takes a while after mushroom experience before you really want to eat again, right? Your brain mm -hmm. has to kind of click over your taste buds. And I'll tell you, started to dig into that cheese. <laughs> and it, I, I mean, I, it's like it is it is head and shoulders of any of the culinary experience in my life. It's like the blue cheeses. It was like 1000 things going off in my brain and in my mouth. I mean, I tasting every little and it just tasted like this living explosion of a spectacular yeah. taste in my mouth. And it, it was it was remarkable. Now, I'm curious, what's your experience with cooking with 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 mushrooms? And are you noticing it? Does, have you heard my, a story like mine from other people with mushrooms as well? I mean, yeah. So anytime that I do mushrooms, I'm very intentional about what I'm going to eat afterwards. And I think that this all kind of plays into that heightened sense, like those brain receptors just being activated from um, even THC and psilocybin. I mean, I've also had the same experience from LSD after I've come out into this space. <laughs> and it's like the food that I taste is like the garden of the gods. It's like, what is this? <laughs> it is so amazing. And it could have been the most simple thing, but I'm like, this mango? You gotta be kidding me. Where do we get this mango from? Whole foods? No way. <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, this it's better than what I ever expected. And so I I mean, cooking with mushrooms is a little bit different especially if it's um, psychoactive mushrooms, then there's like a lot of different things that I don't do when I'm, you know, kind of bringing those two things together in the food world, because the experience when you're consuming mushrooms and your tummy, you know, like if you have certain things paired with it, it may not go over so well. You know, those things, I would not put dairy with mushrooms upon consumption, but I would do it hours later and that like just your experience with the cheese it was like wow that was exceptional but like if you gave somebody mushrooms with a grilled cheese sandwich i don't know like it would get mm -hmm. with the butter <laughs> like, you know, like your stomach would be like wow this is a bit much for us <laughs> for a second so there are also like different types of my own set of protocols that i follow when i'm doing things with like psilocybin like meaning that I prefer to keep the sugar low. I prefer to keep the dairy low or none. I prefer to not have it with things that are extremely spicy. I prefer to also make sure that there's a balance of some other adaptogenics and some other things for your, for your belly, like ginger, like even, you know, making it into like a little, like, you know, taking the mushrooms, maybe with some coconut aminos and some ginger and accelerating the experience through there because there's a softer landing in your system. And, mm -hmm. you know, with citrus, also using citrus to accelerate that as well. So, you know, it's interesting reminding me that, you know, there's a group of friends for the last few decades who we occasionally get together and typically do MDMA together, although occasionally mushrooms, but it developed a tradition where at the end of it, I would go out and I'd go to the kosher deli around the corner from my apartment and kosher because I keep kosher. None of my friends do. And mm -hmm. I'd buy, a, I get a dozen rare hamburgers. 
Mm-hmm. And we'd come back, and it was the most extravagant experience. It was, I think, the body was just craving that protein rush or something. Yeah, and it became it a is. tradition with us, where the hamburger was the thing we had. You know, it, it was what felt right at that time. You know? And I think that is important. I mean, like when you're listening to your body in that way, and your body is saying, "Hey, hey, why don't you just go ahead and grab this? <laughs> trust me later," and mm-hmm. and you trust that process. You know, your body is is settling into that space because especially when like any of those classifications, MDMA, LSD, mushrooms, those things, when your body is getting propelled into a whole nother serotonin space and when you're getting back into balancing into planet Earth and you want Mm -hmm. to replenish your body, I think it is important to, you know, do what your body is asking. I'm I'm in the same way. After MDMA, I have a very set protocol of things that I consume. And it's usually the first up is a green smoothie. I have to have Uh a smoothie bowl (laughs) for some reason. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what Uh that is. I just always have a smoothie bowl. But then after that, I just treat my body really nice, like a really nice quality piece of fish. And then, and then I go into like I like I said I don't know how if everyone is this intentional with food, but I would like for them to be like when they're coming in and out of experiences, and just thinking about hey how do I replenish my body to balance, you know, and mm-hmm. how do I settle back and integrate into this this space after being a little bit gone for a bit, <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's take a break here and go to an ad. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I'm Abby, a mother of two, and I had these battles myself. Endless excuses, delay tactics, and many tears and tantrums. But I've created a solution. The perfect kids podcast that makes bedtime a dream. It's called Koala Moon, and it's hosted by me, Abby. With over 300 episodes, packed with original stories and sleep meditations... Koala Moon makes bedtimes easy and enjoyable. Episodes start out engaging and really rather magical, but as they progress, they gently slow to a calm and relaxing pace to have your little ones out like a light. Since launching in 2022, Koala Moon has helped with over 20 million nights sleep and received over 6,000 five-star reviews. Win back your evenings. Listen to Koala Moon now on the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was... 
And that time when we did the science experiments and Billy made raisins dance. That is so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me. <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to catch you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on StoryButton, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. You have, you know, obviously these famous, you know, clients, you know, like Dave Chappelle, who I guess is in, you know, lives else someplace else in Ohio, um, you know, or Snoop Dogg. But so when people are are contracting with you and they're saying we want a dinner, I mean, I know you, I've read that you like like Asian stuff is among your favorite stuff to cook with. But do you, do you get requests both for types of food, but also for types of cannabis or types of concentrates or types of things like that? I mean, how how much are you know as opposed to people just saying, hey, you know, you know, Chef Nikki, do your best and like, give me an Asian thing. Do you get more specific things or people asking you to want to use the cannabis out of their own garden or their favorite, you know, brand or something like that? No, I don't ever really get very specific things. I mean, Mm -hmm. most people pretty much trust me. Uh, (laughs) And I change a menu like every time I do an event, the menu is different. I mean, you might have a couple of the same things, which are just like your fan favorites. But I always change the menu and it definitely is a little a lot Asian influence. I did my culinary studies in Thailand, some of them. So I, you know, I kind of I settle into that space really well. But it's like with Dave, it's just majority of the time, 95 percent of the time it's regular food, not infused, (laughs) because what, what I'm doing with him is just as just being his chef, I'm also feeding the guests that come in the green room or different types of shows and things like that. So we don't have people on stage like Blitz. (laughs) So number one. (laughs) But when I'm asked to do an infused dinner, I make it from the talent or the artist, you know, what they like in general, um, the types of foods that they do like and what they don't like. And I'll, you know, use that as an influence on the menu for the evening. The reason why I don't do weddings it's because I have so many requests. <laughs> so I, I, sometimes I lose my creative abilities. And so I like to do these type of things because uh, my team and I, we can we could do all of the bucket list things that we were like thinking and all the mm-hmm. recipes we wanted to try. So, yeah. And, and when you're serving, is there a menu like where each dish is described, not just the, the ingredients, the food ingredients, but also the THC and CBD levels? Yes, 100%. So the menu is is written out to be exact what's in the ingredients um how much thc how much cbd and then whether there's vegan options vegetarian things like that so gluten-free i still take into consideration dietary restrictions 
So I'll always have, you know, plan A and B or option one and two. But typically, most of my guests are like, we can't wait to see what's on the menu. <laughs> so, you know, um, I, I know you mentioned earlier that you had gotten your degree in pharmaceutical sciences and that that helped you, you know, in terms of becoming a cannabis chef because there's so much science involved in this now. But I've also heard, you know, that you also had a familial background that sort of opened you up both to cooking and to cannabis. Mm, yes. Familiar. Yes, I have a familiar. I thought you said familiar, <laughs> oh, but, no, you, yeah, no. but you meant family. family. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm like, yes, I have both familiar and familiar. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. So in the beginning, my grandfather was just, his nickname was Doc. And uh, my grandfather, to be known, we're born on the same day. We're both Scorpios. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. his experience When he was younger, he used to take plant medicine, um, forage plant medicine and create like different tinctures and salves. And he would sell them to, you know, just whoever would come to him. So he kind of got the nickname Doc. And when I first heard it as a kid, it was that, you know, like he would have guys that have like, you know, almost like STDs (laughs) and then he would make like a salve and he would just sell that to them. And anyway, it. It became a hit. So I draw inspo from a lot of that. I also, you know, started smoking cannabis pretty young, uh, 15. And I remember my my experience, you know, getting older, like an older teenager. I would have that conversation with my dad. And I realized that as I grew older, that my father was using cannabis a lot as recovery because he owns a construction company. And so that's a lot of hard work pouring concrete, building, you know, houses and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And so I was like, oh, like this whole time, I didn't know what those seeds were. Now that I, now that I know and retrospect uh-huh. what those seeds were that I was playing with. Uh-huh. And I took the inspiration of how my family used it as an actual medicine and how my family used it to heal themselves. And so I had a different perspective on it growing up. And so I was like, you know, I'm not really trying to make like, you know, I will make a salve or like some sort of tincture, but I'm really good at food. So how can I give you the best experience and health and wellness upon consumption of, you know, food items? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you basically, I mean, born and raised and lived most of your life in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, mm-hmm. and I went to Ohio State. And um, mm-hmm. I'm literally, I mean, I live out my suitcase pretty much now, <laughs> but uh-huh. I travel, you know, everywhere doing, you know, dinners and talks and panels and things like that. But Ohio is like my stomping grounds. So I, I owe a lot of my grit <laughs> from to Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Nikki, I'll tell you, you're not my first Ohio State grad on. Just a little while back, I had on a young woman named Kat Packer. Oh, yeah, I know Kat. You know Kat? And, you know, multiple uh-huh. degrees from Ohio State and just spent the last five years trying to regulate marijuana, you know, uh, in Los Angeles. Yeah, uh, You know, yeah. as, as the point person in the city. There's some nice connections. I mean, I admire Kat for what she's done. For sure. And mm-hmm. what she's been trying to do. And I know she's had a tough time. Her and I have never met personally, but I, I respect the hell out of her because um, 
she has a very tough job. That is a tough ass job because you have a lot of people on both sides and she's in the middle and she's got people barking down her neck. It's hard. It's very hard. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And, and she then, stepped in. I think she was 26 years old when she took on that yeah, job. Yeah, that's, and, like, that's and I a think, huge And then she did it for five years. I think she's just announced she's stepping down after mm-hmm. five years. But, I mean, sometimes I talk to people, you know, who have had a, a bad experience with cannabis when they're younger and they're kind of wary of it. You know, they got paranoid or they got this or that or very anxious. Typically, that first experience happened when they were in a social situation where they mm-hmm. had to kind of be on with people they didn't know or feel comfortable with. And I'll say, you know, the really the thing to try to do is if you do want to try it again, again, um, try to do it in a place, you know, preferably just one person you're really close with and maybe outdoors and and trying to be in a very calm environment. But what I'm wondering specifically on the culinary aspect is, I wonder if for people who have had a bad experience smoking it and are wary of that element, and so therefore they're staying away from it, I wonder if for them doing it in the food way, the way that you're doing, might be a safer, easier way to enjoy cannabis on occasion. I, yeah, um, you're very correct. It is a safer way to enjoy, enjoy cannabis on occasion. And people's bodies respond differently. So I have people that come to my events and I have people that I speak with that cannot smoke. And so they prefer to use any non-combustible forms of cannabis, which means whether it's consuming it by mouth or like transdermal or things like that. And they fare better in that space. And then I have some people who can smoke a house down, but an edible or five to 10 milligrams, they're like, whoa, 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 this is, I can't handle this. You know? So I I do take into consideration, um, you know, where you're at with your cannabis journey. And like I said, try to give you a, like a middle ground. But like I said, I, I do think that it is a much more like agreeable thing. Like as far as demographics are concerned, women do prefer to consume cannabis by mouth. Usually mm-hmm. it's a lot more like, I don't know, it's, you don't smell like weed uh, <laughs> and it's a little mm-hmm. bit more discreet and, you know, you can have something in your purse and just take a little nibble and get on with your day. And so Mm -hmm. I do get a lot of feedback that they love this because, you know, you can have these experiences with like wine, there's like cannabis wine, there's champagne, there's all these cool things that we have now that can make, you know, you feel fancy for that moment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Years ago, I was in Barcelona and I landed up going to some interesting bar political scene. And it was, you know, I thought it was just going to be a kind of kind of cannabis coffee shop. It turned out there were actually people using heroin there and things like that. So I landed up sitting down, having dinner with a number of people who actually, you know, were actually not just smoking cannabis, using heroin, Um, but not not me, but they were. And Mm -hmm. then there was a bottle on the table of cannabis infused absinthe. And I reached for the bottle and was about to take some. And a whole bunch of people at the table, including the guys doing heroin, said, Ethan, be careful with that stuff. That packs a punch. You know, so I mean, that combination (laughs) of, of alcohol, especially strong alcohol with cannabis can do something. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, obviously, there's this booming world of, you know, cannabis chefs and there's the cannabis edibles world and all of this sort of stuff. Are there trends in this world the same way there are in fine dining? 
Um, I'm still thinking about that story you just told us. Oh, okay. <laughs> if you want to comment on that, go for it. <laughs> I was like, I was trying to like gather what you were saying. I was like, okay, here we go. I'm doing a checklist. Cannabis, her- heroin, absence. Yeah. I was like, oh, I this know. is a little list here. Okay. Well, um, you know, my, my, my world crosses a lot of drugs and a lot of different sorts no, of yeah. people. Yeah. I was, I was down for the story. I was just trying to like sort out like the consumption and how that feels. I was like, I don't know how uh-huh. that goes. Um, but anyway, so um, trends as far as cannabis and culinary. Some people get into the cannabis space and they just they'll say like, "I'm a cannabis chef," and I'm like, "Okay, well, if I take chef off of it, can you still go toe to toe with us in the kitchen, or mm-hmm. are you in mm-hmm. confection, or are you in pastry?" There's so many different like segments of like where you can go in this world of cannabis. But typically, it starts with the actual chef converting into the space. Sometimes it's backwards where you are in the space and you become a chef or you Mm -hmm. try to kind of like create these experiences. So as far as trends are concerned, you know, there's not like a whole lot of them. I I see a lot of people kind of like barrel themselves in very specific genres like pastry and confection, which is your gummies and which is like cookies and, you know, like all those type of things, candies and maybe some finer pastries. There's a company that I like called Hervé and it's macarons. So you have Parisian Mm -hmm. style macarons. It then, as far as chefs are concerned, I think chefs are just doing their chef thing. You know what I mean? So you pretty much Mm -hmm. are sticking in the same aesthetic you've been cooking in and you're just adding that ingredient. So... Yeah, I think that's pretty much where we're we're at as far mm-hmm. as the trends. I mean, a lot of us are trying to do really cool things like and bringing the same types of restaurant experiences to you, but with cannabis and not just, you know, something simple like a cheeseburger. You know what I mean? It's not saying that's mm-hmm. not good, but you are paying for an experience. I'm going to mm-hmm. give you that. <laughs> so. Well, so, so I'm curious. I mean, the, so you have this bigger, you know, growing world. And when I was doing the preparation uh, for this episode here, you know, I look back, like the New York Times had a piece about cannabis chefs, you know, about seven, eight years ago. Then I came across uh, somebody, Mindy Siegel, who they said, mm-hmm. I think, was the first chef who had won one of those, you know, prestigious James Beard Awards for for culinary, uh, you know, accomplishment uh, based in Chicago. She was, I guess, the first one moving into the cannabis space. But, so there's this growing world. And I wonder, I mean, you're obviously part of it. What's it like? I mean, the elements of collaboration, competition, identifying your niches. Um, you know, are there are there gatherings or conferences as yet for people cooking with cannabis? No, there's there's nothing, honestly. Hmm, <laughs> there's, wow. No, there's nothing. I mean, but it's starting. It's starting. Um it it is really in getting like the world to notice that this is a thing. Of course, at some point, I feel like James Beard may want to introduce a category, a real category where they, you know, literally gauge all of the chefs um, that are doing in anything in cannabis. There's not a convention or a meeting of the minds. At some point, I would like to be able to introduce like regulatory things, meaning like certifications, because not everyone understands how to properly dose and you can really mess someone up pretty quickly if you're not, you know, a little bit of knowledge and 
and education and some tender love and care in there. If you don't, you know, realize what you're doing, mm-hmm. you can really push somebody over the top. And so, like myself, and there, I'm sure there's some other chefs who are wanting to see that. And the more and more we do things like podcasts and interviews, I just recently was reached out to by Bon Appetit. So they're covering me for 420. But that's a step in a whole different direction because before mainstream media, like they may have touched on it, but it wasn't a thing. You know, most of our recognition came from cannabis media or other types of, you know, plant medicine media. But I remember a couple years ago, Forbes ran my Thanksgiving recipes <laughs> and, and Forbes <laughs> for mm-hmm. all, inf- all cannabis infused. It was like called quarantine Thanksgiving. And that was like, oh, well, this is something because like this is not the, the stoner demographic. And that's really hard for us to break through that. You know, like the older lady <laughs> who has just retired and is walking her dog in the par- park that has joint pain may not realize this is an option for her or mm-hmm. you know the young college student who you know is an athlete and doesn't want to take you know narcotics for their pain this is an option mm-hmm. for them so we have you know a lot of different people we still have to reach to and i think once we break that that plane we'll have a lot more notoriety in being considered as like this is actually a career that is helping someone not just getting high but also helping them be well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know i have to ask you about one other type of uh of food which is one of my favorites which is sushi mm-hmm. you know uh, and it's it's interesting there's a japanese restaurant i go to in um san francisco and the guy who runs it a japanese american guy he's actually one of the the few people i know who is basically consumes consuming a thousand milligrams of thc a day while leading uh-huh. a very active life he's just built up a very high tolerance and and you know a friend and i arranged for him actually to do a cannabis infused sushi dinner but ha- has this really started to show up in the sushi world at all yeah i've cannabis- had infused yeah. sushi mm-hmm. i did yeah. a collab with a sushi um a restaurant and we did infuse sushi and mm-hmm. i mean yeah it's great there's <laughs> there's a couple different ways you can infuse sushi depending on what types of like delivery methods but if it's in the rice you can use a, a isolate which is more of a powder thc substance that will disintegrate into the rice of course you can put it in dipping sauces but to actually infuse the sushi and also you can use it in the vinegar um, that you'll use, like the rice vinegar, anything that you would use to cure the tuna or the salmon, anything like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm just thinking like in terms of you're saying you're on the road all the time. You're also saying you're a mom. And I'm wondering, you know, uh, you know, in terms of what lies ahead. I mean, is there going to be a cookbook or mm-hmm. a TV show? Uh, are you going to be branding even more broadly? So what lies ahead for you, you think? And what's your vision of yourself for the next uh, 5, 10, 20 years? I am working on a book right now. And it's going to be a very interesting book of a collection of memoirs like stories um recipes and quite a bit of science and into breaking down you know how to use these things safely and referring back to them when you you know do the recipes in your kitchen the high end affair is still going to be on tour 
So you'll still be able to catch us in um, most recreational and medical markets and some decriminalized markets. Um, we are doing our first international event. So um, South Africa has just recent, recently mm -hmm. become legal. And so we got an ask from a team there and a group to come do the high end affair in South Africa and to potentially launch a product and just kind of help them. We get a lot of asks from different places. My team and I, we, we go to different countries and we talk to different folks and individuals about how to regulate edibles and, and how to, um, you know, introduce this to your country as a legal form because some places legalize edibles and non-combustible things first mm. like thc and cbd tinctures so we're doing a lot with you know kind of expanding into a global space okay nikki well, don't hesitate to reach out to me if you need connections <laughs> any place around the world because i'm sort of wired into that world everywhere really who's trying to integrate drug policy reform and cannabis reform with greater issues around social justice yeah but listen I, I i think what you're doing is absolutely amazing uh my mouth is absolutely watering right now <laughs> i mean and i can't wait till the day comes when i can actually uh partake of one of your dinners any plans to be in new york in uh 2022 so I actually do. That was the part I was going to finish that. Up. So I'll be uh -huh. coming to New York. Um, I should be there 420. And so I will clue you in and send you the invitation for that. Oh, that that uh -huh. would be great. So I'll be there. We're going to be doing a lot more stuff in, in New York. Um, I also work with Weed Maps a lot. And so mm -hmm. we're like one of their strategic partners when it comes to like certain types of events. And they kind of help me out with a lot of things. So we're going to be doing more stuff in New York, so I'll be excited about that. And probably around third, fourth quarter of this year, with the rollout and the launch of uh, Chef Nikki products will be in dispensaries. So that's oh, coming. Sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Sounds fantastic. Sounds like you're on a roll, doing great stuff, putting out a lot of positive food and energy and healing in the world. So listen, thank you ever so much for joining me on Psychoactive. Of course. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. If you're enjoying Psychoactive, please tell your friends about it. Or you can write us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your own stories, comments, and ideas, then leave us a message at 1-833-779-2460. That's 833-PSYCHO-0. Or you can email us at psychoactive at protozoa.com or find me on Twitter at Ethan Nadelman. You can also find contact information in our show notes. Psychoactive is a production of iHeartRadio and Protozoa Pictures. It's hosted by me, Ethan Nadelman. It's produced by Noam Osband and Josh Thane. The executive producers are Dylan Golden, Ari Handel, Elizabeth Giesis, and Darren Aronofsky from Protozoa Pictures, Alex Williams and Matt Frederick from iHeartRadio, and me, Ethan Nadelman. Our music is by Ari Belusian, and a special thanks to Avivit Bar-Yosef, Bianca Grimshaw, and Robert Beebe. Next week, I'll be talking with perhaps the world's leading historian of psychoactive drugs, Mike Jay, about his most recent book, Mescaline, A Global History of the First Psychedelic.
Everybody knew that mescaline was this thing that came out of this cactus that had this backstory that was to do with American Indians and so forth. Once it becomes a white powder and a little vial on a shelf, people forget the backstory. So people forgot that mescaline came from peyote. It became a substance in its own right. Something the same happens with um, cocaine in the 19th century. The first coca wines and coca products are all branded with pictures of Incas and conquistadors and things reminding us that this comes from a plant in South America. Once cocaine is isolated, it just becomes like white tablets in what they've called a pure white drug, you know, a product of modern science science and changes its identity. And so from that point on, mescaline has its own distinctive Western identity that separates itself from its indigenous tradition. Subscribe to Psychoactive Now so you don't miss it. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare parents if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids i'm gonna let you into a little secret the koala moon podcast has revolutionized over 20 million bedtimes with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine. With original kids' bedtime stories and cosy sleep meditations, every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.